We are continuing in John 17, Jesus' priestly prayer for us. And actually, if you would uh, turn to John 17, and we'll read together. We covered the first five verses last Sunday. Let's start at verse 6. And this again is, is Jesus on the night of his betrayal and his arrest, the, the night before his crucifixion, praying for the disciples and, and with them and, and through them, praying for us as well. I have manifested your name, Jesus speaking to the Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now they've come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in this world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And we'll pause there. So here's Jesus praying. And again, I, I hope you're giving your, your mind, your attention, and your imagination to picturing this night with Jesus. That Jesus has been with the disciples. This is the night he shared the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is the night that he sent Judas on his way as Judas was preparing to betray him. This is the night where Peter will vow his undying loyalty to Jesus and Jesus will predict that he will betray him three times and later that will happen. This is that powerful, powerful night where in just moments from this prayer, Jesus will soon be in the Garden of Gethsemane in anguish before the Father, asking that if there's another way that this cup would pass, and yet constantly pouring his heart of agreement to the Father, but if this is the way, your will be done. So all on that night is, is what we're looking at. So I hope that you're taking this personal. You know, we talked this morning in Sunday school out of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so that I, I'm praying that as we're doing this series, as we're looking at this prayer, that you and I would have the wisdom that we're actually asking the Holy Spirit for help, that we really want to envision Jesus interceding for us in this prayer. We want to really see Jesus' heart, 
Jesus' passion, his compassion, his tenderness, his thoughtfulness, his power, his authority, that we see the heart in Jesus that would lead him to die on the cross for us, that same heart is being expressed through this prayer. And that we would recognize that, that we would fix our eyes on seeing Jesus, being impressed with the heart of Jesus, as with everything we study, so that it changes us. If you and I can go through the Word of God and not be changed, we're not hearing things. We're, we're not listening to the voice of the Father and the Son and the Spirit speak to us through this Word. So that's part of what I pray, that as we go through this and we hear Jesus praying, a couple of things that would matter. One is that you and I would actually say, very, very personally, very diligently, we would actually say, I want to agree with the things that Jesus is praying for me. I want to agree with them so that Jesus isn't praying while, while I defy them. Jesus isn't interceding for me while I push against him. But as Jesus prays for me, I, I align my heart and my mind and my will to an agreement with the things he's praying for. And then a diligent search of, now what would it look like to live the things that Jesus is praying? What would it look like to grow up more in the things that Jesus is interceding on my behalf? So I pray that we would do that. So let's start here in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. And I, I am determined that I will get better at this technology. But if at any point the technology gets in my way, I will stop it um, and just talk. <laughs> so here's Jesus saying, I have manifested. And for us to recognize, what he's saying is, I have revealed, I have explained, I have opened up for their understanding your name. And we've talked about this before, but I think every time we read this, it's, it's worth recognizing that out of this culture and out of this context, when Jesus is saying, I manifested, Father, I manifested your name to them. And Jesus isn't talking about an informational thing. He's saying, there's something about your name that I've been revealing to them. And in this culture, in this context, it's worth recognizing this means I'm revealing your character. I'm revealing your purposes. I'm revealing your authority. I'm revealing your will. I'm revealing your passion. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm manifesting your name to them, there's, there's way, something way beyond the name of God, which was already revealed to Moses long before Jesus showed up. So Jesus isn't talking about the information that the name of God was Yahweh. And we may not pronounce it exactly the way it was pronounced, but that recognition that God said, well, here's who's sending you, Moses. Tell them I am that I am is sending. 
And Moses had already revealed that. The Jews honored that name. They already knew the name. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I've come to live with these disciples. And for three and a half years, I have opened up your name for their understanding. I've been revealing and explaining and exampling your character and your passion and your purposes and your authority into their lives. We have this in, in John chapter 1, verse 18. Actually, let's start in 16. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This is John writing about Jesus. For of his fullness... We have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. And, and again, that, that recognition of, of beauty here. That Jesus' life was the full explanation of the heart and character and purposes of God. They're not two different things. And I'm sure some of you noticed this because verse 18 we just read in John 1 says, the only begotten God, that Father, Son, and Spirit are truly one God. And now here's Jesus on the planet, in a sense, confined to the form of a man. And Philippians talks about that, that Jesus set aside his divine prerogatives and confined himself to mortality so that he could offer himself to the point of death for the, to be the sacrifice we needed. So we're recognizing that Jesus is now telling his disciples. John is telling us in chapter 1. And we will have then repeated throughout the New Testament. That if you want to know the heart of God. If you want to comprehend the character of God. That we get to look at Jesus to comprehend that. They're not two different things. That it's not some angry God in the Old Testament. And then he finally mellowed out and sent his son. That the God of, of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. He is fully revealing himself in Jesus Christ saying, Jesus will reveal everything that I'm about. Pay attention to him. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't let your vision wander to other things so that you enjoy the reality of this God revealed in, in, in a, a sacrificial redeemer who would lay down his life for you. We sing, we sing a song, and I can't remember which song it is, but where we sing that this amazing thing, that the king dies for me. That's what we're looking at in the heart of God. We're looking at a God and a king who dies for me. That's crazy. I, I hope you pause to comprehend a little bit of, of the amazing grace that's buried in that. That God would say, Reg needs to be saved. He's despicable. He's sinful. He's my enemy. And I love him so much. I'm going to go die for him. So I can rescue him. And then I can change him. And I can help him to grow up to be like me. And one day when he sees me face to face, I will finish that transformation and he will be my character. That's your destiny and my destiny if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And all of that was in the Father's heart revealed in Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 14. That's a four. That's a 14. Let's go to 14 verse 9. And I'll figure out how the tech works a little later. Actually, let's start at eight to see Philip's question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And go to John 5, 43. Jesus, and he's talking to his skeptics. And he says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So again, here's Jesus saying, if you, you claim to belong to God, but I am the full revelation of that character of God that you claim to believe in. I am the full revelation of his holiness. I'm the full revelation of his grace and his love. I'm the full revelation of his willingness to do what's necessary to save you. And if you knew him, he says this in, in John 8, if you knew him, you'd recognize me. Go to 10.25 as well. And in John 10, 25, he says, I told you and you do not believe. He's still talking to his skeptics. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. And so we have this whole history through John of how Jesus has been manifesting the Father. He's been revealing the Father's character through his words, through his actions, through his teachings, through his works. So when Jesus was healing people, somebody could look at Jesus and say, that's the heart of the Father that desires to heal the broken. When Jesus was forgiving the prostitute caught in the act of, of adultery and offering her power to go change her life, Somebody could look at Jesus and say, that is the heart of the Father, the holy, majestic God who established the law is now willing to forgive sin and then give power and authority to change lives. That's the heart of the Father. So that everything Jesus did and said, part of you and I get to recognize, I get to be amazed at this. There is one God. And one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't just mediate by dying for my sins. He mediates by bringing me the full revelation of the heart of God. He gives you a chance to know and comprehend this majestic, quote, unknowable God is now knowable in Jesus Christ. 
That's an amazing grace. That's an amazing gift. And, and I know for myself, but I think for most of us, we take that gift too lightly. So that again, back to Hebrews 12, 2, when he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, that we would take seriously and joyfully the call to know Jesus better, to look into him more fully, and then in Jesus to see the heart of the Father more fully. And he goes on this, back to John 17. I'm going to skip a couple of verses so that we continue this theme. In verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And this is an amazing revelation that, that Jesus is giving us here. That he's saying, I'm keeping them in your name. I'm keeping them in your character. I'm keeping them in your passions and your purposes. I'm keeping them in your heart. I'm keeping them in your authority. I'm trying to keep them in this whole package of who you really are, Father. And then Jesus adds this. And to the extent that they cooperate with me keeping them in your name, they will be one. So if my eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, and your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, and, and you and I together in fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ are loving and pursuing the character of God, are, are willing to keep growing in the character of God. And, and the character of God is summarized very simply for us in, in the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those aren't some new thing that God came up with and goes, you know, I've come up with a few rules for you people. What he's saying is, that's who I am. Now with my spirit bringing you the very life of Jesus Christ, I'm calling you and equipping you to grow up to be like your father. To grow up to be a chip off the old block because you immerse yourself in knowing me you open your life up to the control of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before, and I, I just, I'll, I'll come in on it. When we're commanded in Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is not you and I going to God and saying, Dear God, please give me more of the Holy Spirit. As if so far I got six ounces, but I bet you've got 16 ounces, 10 ounces more of the Holy Spirit, please. Because it's worth recognizing that that command in Ephesians 5 isn't about you and I going and asking God for something. It's God commanding us to something. If I am to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't get more of Him. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the dwelling presence of God. I don't need more of Him. To be filled with the Spirit, I'm unclogging the obstacles and giving Him more of me. Please comprehend this. 
that now this part of my life and that part of my life and this part of my attitudes and, and this thing about my language and this thing about my habits and this thing about how I say one thing but do another and this thing over here about how I handle ad- adversity and here how I handle popularity and over here how I handle wealth and over here how I handle poverty. Father, more and more, I want the very heart and character of Jesus Christ permeating more and more and more of my life because I have all of you. I want to keep growing in the wisdom that I offer you all of me. And that's worth pondering with God. Not, again, not for condemnation, but for simple awareness. Father, where am I holding part of me back? Where am I believing that you can't rule over this part? And a lot of times that's one of the deceptions of the enemy to to hold us back from fully manifesting the character of God and and being more filled with the Spirit is that the enemy convinces us that there's some part of our life that can't change. So that may be part of your, your prayer and my prayer with God is, Father, show me not just where I'm still unfinished and get to grow. Show me where I'm believing I can't grow. Show me where I'm telling you no, because I believe the enemy's lies, that I'm stuck with that. And again, the bottom line is, if it doesn't look like the character of Jesus Christ, I'm not stuck with it. If it does not look like the character of Jesus Christ, I have no obligation to continue in it. I get to bring my heart in submission and say, Father, this may be the hardest thing I've ever done, but let's grow the character of Jesus Christ. Let's grow the fullness of your name in this area of my life. And God's telling us that's doable. Now back to John 15, 5, which I think I find a reason to, to quote pretty much every Sunday, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that this life in Christ is only possible, the life of growing in the power of the Holy Spirit is only possible because I'm choosing that the Jesus Christ who died for me is now alive and through his spirit dwells within me. And I refuse to do my growing apart from him. I refuse to do the moment apart from him. Now back to this oneness thing here. What he's saying is, the more you comprehend who I am, and the more your eyes are fixed on worshiping and enjoying me, the better your fellowship will be. You will comprehend more and more the value of that brother and sister in Christ, not because of how they're similar to you in a a multitude of human ways, but because you recognize they belong to the same Lord Jesus Christ that you belong to. And that that's the foundation of our fellowship. So I I won't make you do it. But part of what I would almost want to do. So do it in your mind. Is as I would almost want to have everybody stand up individually. So like we'd start over here with Troy. And we'd say, Troy, stand up. Troy, look around the room. Who do you not feel very close to or one with in this congregation? Your challenge, your mission, should you choose to accept it would be to say, I'm going to go start growing oneness with that person. I'm going to go try to make deeper contacts for fellowship, start a conversation, check into how they're doing. I want to build oneness with them because I get it. That person belongs to Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. 
And then just to pick on, on the family, then we'd go to Deborah. And on and on and on. All the way over here to Jim. And then we go to the second row. Oh, you guys are the second row, but okay. We'd have to start with you, David. Okay. There's a willing heart. And, and that we would actually say, Father, I'm serious about this. If manifesting your name and comprehending your name and worshiping your true character and purposes means that I recognize where I'm not in genuine oneness with somebody, then I'm serious about my willingness to grow that oneness. There's a challenge. There's a challenge. And again, I'm not growing human oneness. So how many people in the room like reading science fiction? Okay, not enough hands went up. Let me ask the question. No, that, that, that's fine. So I could have some fun conversations with the people who just raised their hand. Because I love reading science fiction. I, I, it's been a long time since I've done it. But I love reading science fiction. I love thinking of other worlds and other possibilities that haven't in, been invented yet or developed yet. But my fellowship isn't just with people who enjoy science fiction. How many people here love Italian food? Okay, more hands went up for that. Okay. I will have good fellowship with you. But my true fellowship is with people who hate Italian food. Now, one of the best examples that I can have good fellowship with people who don't like Italian food is my wife, who is 50% Italian, doesn't like Italian food. And she was gracious enough for my birthday to make a huge plate of I think like six-layer lasagna for me. I didn't eat all of it. I shared. I shared. But I don't need fellowship over lasagna with Carrie. I don't need fellowship over lasagna and Italian food with you. I need fellowship over the fact that we genuinely love Jesus Christ. And that we're wall-wise enough to say, that's above every other human loyalty that's above every other human identification. That's above every other human associative calling that draws us to people. Is that we are one in Jesus Christ. And we're also wise enough to know this. If I recognize that something is impeding that oneness, I tackle that. One way or another, I tackle that. So here's, here's how he continues that idea. So that's in, in 11 where he says that they may be one. But over in 21, actually, let's read 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning the, the 11, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that's you and me, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, and here's an amazing thing, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And we've talked about this before and we'll talk about it again. That our oneness actually draws people to Jesus Christ. Not our perfection. Our oneness, our love for one another draws people to Jesus Christ. That there is something so supernatural. Uh, and, and again, we could go through this group because this group's a good group. To, to example this. We have all kinds of different educational levels here. We have different IQ levels here. 
When I talk to John, I know that my IQ is lower than I wish it to be. We have different layers and areas of skill. People that are incredibly gifted at business. I sold Amway. I shouldn't even say this on a podcast. I sold Amway for one summer and lost money. Not because the products weren't good. I just gave everybody a cut rate and didn't make a profit. I'm not a businessman. We have people in here who have gone to, to high levels of education and people who quit somewhere along the way and did other things in life that are honorable. We have people in here that are Republican and Democrat. We have people in this room that are conservative and some that are more liberal. Liberal. We have people in this room that, that are really good at things and other people that couldn't care less about some of those things. And none of those things, by any stretch of the imagination, are meant to be our oneness. That we get to share those differences. We even get to sometimes be amazed at those differences. But where we rise above those differences, just to share our oneness in Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's what will last for eternity. It, it already belongs to us now. That oneness is what will last for eternity. And that oneness, as Jesus is saying, Jesus is actually saying this in, this in the way he's wording it. He's saying, you as the body of Christ, learning to live in a, in a loving oneness, that reflects the character of God. And anything less than that is clouding the vision and getting in the way of the world seeing the character of God. Do we truly get to grow in this? Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you are the living God. You're not a set of beliefs we came up with because we needed a religion. Father, we don't need a religion. We need life. We need truth. We need purpose. We need fulfilling love relationships. And you're the answer to all of this. And Father, I thank you that you have fully revealed your heart in Jesus Christ. And your heart's longing is that we would so desire to know who you really are. That we would immerse ourselves in knowing Jesus Christ. Father, not just dabbling and sampling for a few minutes a week. Not just dabbling and sampling for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Father, but that my week and our week, everyone here, our week would involve a hungry search for the heart and character and mind of Jesus Christ because we long to be impacted by this life, to be transformed by this life, to be given power and authority over sin by this life, to be given power and authority to love others by this life. And not just a life we admire and believe in, Father, by this miracle, this miraculous transformation, that now all of my sin was transferred to Jesus, and all of Jesus now comes to dwell in me. And that this, this indwelling, this is the secret. This is the, the wide open, freely shared secret of the New Testament that makes the Christian life possible. That I am alive in Christ, and Christ is alive in me. Father, help us to long for a deeper understanding of your heart and a deeper immersion in getting to know Jesus Christ. 
to not be satisfied with what we know. Father, help me to not be satisfied with what I know, but to long to know you more. We agree on this, Father, sons and daughters of God. We agree on this together in Jesus' name. Amen.